We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're still in verse 12. Let's read it. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he's talking about when Timothy was born again and he was called, or later on he was given a commission. And it seems like, for what we can figure out, that during that time, Paul most likely led him to the Lord and he prophesied over him and gave him later on. Well, he said earlier too, do the work of an evangelist. That may have been a part of his calling. So as we're still in to verse 12, the first part we got to, fight the good fight of faith, okay? This does away with so much of this easy believism and once saved, always saved. They think once you say this prayer, you're saved forever. You are not. You've entered a race and a pilgrimage and you're under probation. And if you're not faithful and overcome, you'll not make it into the kingdom. Lion shepherds will tell you otherwise. And Paul will say the same thing about these false teachers. Okay. So he said, oh, you were called for eternal life. And he wants us to understand it's a pilgrimage. It's a warfare. It's a life. And it's a probation. You won't rarely hear the word probation from any Calvinistic person or any easy believism. But you know what probation means. You behave yourself and you do the rules. Otherwise, you get put back in prison or you pay the full penalty of your sins. And that's what God's saying. So we are born with the corrupt nature, but God does not damn a person for simply that. It's the actions if they do not put down and overcome and resist these things, then he damns them. If they don't come by grace and through Christ and get his aid. As we've said before, God expected Cain to do right. And he said, if you don't, sin lies at your door like a crouching animal is what it meant. Well, Cain was being tempted. He despised his brother because his brother was more righteous and offered a better sacrifice. So out of his jealousy and disappointment, his anger yielded to the spirit of murder, and he didn't kill him. But he didn't have to. And God told him, you should overcome it. So God never requires things of people that they cannot do. He held them to a different level. Many of the Gentile, he held and winked at their sins. That means he didn't hold them fully accountable, but he set standards, and under the dispensation or the period they were under, he expected certain compliance. So under the law, you had to keep the law, but he knew that no one could keep it perfectly because of their corrupt nature and because they didn't want to. So he made sacrifice to cover when they confessed their sin and they brought a sacrifice. But for certain sins, like murder and idolatry and blasphemy, there was no forgiveness. You were taken away from the temple, and even if you went there for mercy, and you were stoned to death. So the people knew that under their law, that certain things were not going to be forgivable. Under the new covenant, all sins 
can be forgiven except for that of blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And basically that is to continually resist the spirit of grace until he hardens a person, and then they have no desire or feeling for God or anything righteous. So God will have mercy on whom you have mercy. It's not his will that any perish, and even the backslider in general, he invites them to come back and repent and get right. But if they keep sinning against his grace, his grace will not always strive with them, and then he'll harden them. The Lord said, I will harden whom I will harden, and I will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. So he sets the limit. So he got to a certain place during Noah's time. He said, this is enough. Man is too wicked. I'm going to wipe him off the face of the earth. And he only saved Noah and his family. And when the flood started to come, the rains, the scripture said God shut the door. The door of grace was shut. Noah couldn't have let nobody in. It didn't matter how if they changed their mind. God said it's enough. So we have to see their limits under every dispensation and their consequences to people's sins. So we live under a pilgrimage, a probation. We have eternal life as we abide in Christ. He is eternal life. And if we don't, the Father will cut the branch off that was a Christian that was in Christ and cast him aside, and he'll be burned. Okay? So we need to recognize what the Scripture says. If you overcome, if you continue. So that's the state of probation, a pilgrimage, and a spiritual warfare. And we have to run the race till the end. It is none of this three Scriptures to be saved. That's foolishness. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone, teaching them to observe everything I told you. He didn't say give them three scriptures. Salvation has principles, and one scripture is not going to do it. And believing that Jesus is the Son of God and raised again is not going to save you. The demons believe that, and it hasn't saved them. So the belief in the gospel is a believing to obedience if you believe he's the Lord, then you become his slave instead of the devil and the world and the flesh. You're a slave to one of the two. So if you repent, turn your back on the devil and the world, you turn it toward Christ, that means you will obey him. You're not free to do as you please. You exchange masters is all that you do, okay? So he tells them to take hold of eternal life, by which you were called for this relationship with Christ. Remember, salvation is not a gift in its own. Salvation is a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. He is made unto us salvation. You cannot have salvation and live your own life. You cannot have salvation and be a lukewarm, worldly, excessively carnal person. You don't have Christ. You forfeit him because you do not stay in the relationship by faith and by spiritual works. Spiritual works proves what you have. If you do not have fruitfulness, obedience, and spiritual works, then James and Paul said your faith's vain. Your faith doesn't mean anything. See, these mental confessions, most professing Christians believe because they believe Jesus died on a cross 
that they're Christians. They're not if they do not follow him. And Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? Because he's not the person's Lord. And the multitudes of, I've said many, many times, of professing Christians in the world, the multi-millions, when they stand in judgment, Jesus will say, I never knew you. You were never born again. And they'll say, Lord, Lord. They believe he's their Lord. And he calls them workers of lawlessness. You didn't submit to me. You lived a worldly life. He said, you did not do the will of my Father in heaven. He didn't say you did not believe, because they believed he was the Son of God and Christ. But they didn't obey him. They did not follow him. And that's why he said, you did not do the will of the Father, and I never knew you. Those were never born again, regenerated. That's most professing Christians in the world, okay? So he said, take hold, okay? That means you have to hold on to him. There's a danger there. You can lose that. See, people don't like to hear that. Why are you wanting to take hold? Why are you told in so many scriptures to do this and not do this and stay faithful? Because you have the ability to do it or not do it. There is no irresistible grace. There is no I'm saved no matter what happens. These are doctrines of devils, and the teachers are going to a deeper hell for misrepresenting God. Okay, and the hypocrite receives the greater damnation. Okay. So they were given grace in vain if they don't hold on to the Lord and remain faithful in their probation. The seven churches, every one of them, he gives them promises good and bad, uh, what will happen to him. He said, but he that overcomes, he never said you've already overcome. You only overcome as you stay in Christ. You only have salvation as you stay with Christ. If you don't walk with him and follow him, you don't have him. Uh And those who overcome, he promises these promises. And he was talking to many Christians, and he never said you've already overcome. It's up to you whether you're going to overcome or not. You're going to either trust the Lord and accept his grace and obey him, or you're not going to make it. Very plain and simple. But people will not endure sound doctrine today or teaching, and they want the lying shepherds to make them feel good. And they get that, okay? So if we hold on to the world and the flesh, we get pulled back into that lifestyle. We can be separated from Christ. Oh, the Calvinistic person quotes that scripture. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And they name all these things. But you don't find the word sin there. He's talking to the Christian who is walking in the spirit. That's the one he's promising things to. He's not promising it to the willful sinner who won't follow the Lord, but thinks he has salvation. as a ticket to heaven. Sin will separate you from God under any dispensation, okay, or covenant, or whatever you want to call it, okay. So the Bible tells us, as Paul did later, some, and it's always happened, but it will happen to a greater degree as we get darker and darker, will depart from the faith. These are true Christians. They're not talking about denominational people or professing, really. You can't depart from the true faith unless you're a Christian. And it would tell you that it was a false faith if he meant that. 
No, he says they'll fall away. Who? Those who once truly knew the Lord and followed him. They will revert back to the world, the pleasures of sin for a season, and they will be overcome by the world and the devil again. Okay. In some cases, some are twice dead and plucked up by the roots. That means they're hardened past grace. They've trampled the blood of Christ to a degree that the Lord doesn't show grace anymore. That's the consequences. He warns people. And those who do that, if you study Hebrews properly, they tasted of the powers of the world to come. These were not only baby Christians, they were mature Christians who had the spirit and had ministries and were anointed by God. They tasted of the powers of the world to come. They were deeply spiritual. And it says, and if they fall away, they can be brought back to repentance. Well, in the particular case he's talking about, they're thinking about going back to Judaism. And there's a twofold thing here. Going back not only can incur God's wrath, because Hebrews says you have to trample the blood of Christ to do it, and also the law and the principles do not apply. They were fulfilled and abolished by the Lord, so you're going back to nothing. And you insult the Holy Spirit of grace, and he is the person who draws and saves people. And people cannot come back to the Lord without his working. Uh -huh. Even Paul, when he talked about some who have fallen away, he used the word, perhaps, he said, God will give them the gift of repentance again. That telling you, in some cases, he don't give it to them. He hardens them. He sets the standard of what he thinks and what they've known. And God comes to a place where he eventually hardens the person who keeps hardening himself toward him. He waits for the reaction, but there's a time limit. And so when the flood came, that was it. There was no repentance. All the begging and pleading and hanging on to the ark wasn't going to save anybody because God said it's enough. So that's how God works, and that's why we are under probation. So they will depart from true faith, twice dead, some of them, plucked up by the roots, irredeemable. Most backsliders under every covenant can come back usually. God invites them, gives them time and space, but he don't have to guarantee it to the person. He can strike any wicked person dead anytime he wants to. He lets most wicked people live out their lifespan. But he stores up, and every wicked thing they do from that period on, they will be judged and punished more in the lake of fire. He will hold them accountable for the extra grace that he gave them. See, that's justice in pure form. So we see, most who fall away, many of them come back to the Lord. Old and New Testament, God invites the backslider. That's the general will of God. It's not God's will that any perish, but all come to knowledge of truth. And the fact is, not only through the word of God and human nature, and God telling us things in the future, the majority of mankind will be lost and will not come to the Lord and will find their place in the lake of fire. Just because it's not God's will, God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven in every case. The Christian is to allow the Lord to work in him 
and we ought to pray your kingdom come. We're looking for a different kingdom, not this kingdom of this world. He's going to destroy all of this. So we're to pray for that. And it's done in Christians. But the whole world will not come to the Lord. And one day he gets tired of it and he's going to destroy the wicked world. He's going to come as a king and a judge. He's not coming for salvation or help or anything. It's too late. It means he shut the door. His savior ministry, his intercessory ministry, his teaching ministry, him being a prophet, all of that is past now. He's going to come as a judge and a king, and the wicked people of the world are going to flee from him in terror, and he's going to judge them, consign them to hell, fire. Okay, so we need to understand what he talks about. Okay, so some people have gone too far, and God will decide what he wants to do in those particular cases, and he will evaluate many things. He's not whimsical. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to do this, that, because I want to. He has wisdom. He has love. He combines all of these together in his dealings. He's not arbitrary. He's not whimsical. He's no respecter of persons. He deals with each person by the light or the truth they've got and how they respond to the graces that he's given them. Okay. So some go too far, and we are told then, what? We are told to lay hold of, he said here, if we go back, take hold of eternal life. Well, if you're eternally secure, once saved, always saved, that scripture's vain. It don't mean nothing. And people say, well, that means you'll do it. No, it doesn't mean that. That's what your lying shepherds told you. If you look at the original, it means you have a choice. You can hold on to Christ, you can stay in the vine, or you can get cut off by disobeying him and not following him. And the Father will cut you off, make sure you're cut off good. So as long as the life of the vine is flowing in the branches, as long as the branches yield and receive his graces, then they stay in Christ. The one who refuses to continue in Christ And that's only done by love and obedience. They're one word here together, combined basically in thought. Obedience and love. John tells us the love of God, the whole foundation, is you keep his commandments. He didn't say it was an emotional feeling. He didn't say you had such a good feeling. He said you obey his commandments. So as far as God is concerned, as John said, if you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, John says you're a liar and the truth's not in you. That means Christ is not in you or his word. So all the people talk about loving God. If they're living in gross sin, they're liars and the truth is not in them. Okay, And the Father will eventually cut those off who do not stay in Christ. And quickly going back to verse 11, it says we are to pursue righteousness. That is practical holiness for us. It ain't some position that we're seated in heavenly places with God. That's only one side. If you're not practically holy and you're a follower, you have no righteousness. You don't have Christ in you. 
And Hebrews tells us, pursue peace and godliness, for without this, he's mainly referring to godliness here, no man will see the Lord. He didn't say anything about what you believe and what you believe about Christ and what you say. If you are not holy and you do not live righteously, a good moral life and be upright person, then you don't have it. It's very plain and simple. You have no position in Christ because you're going to be cut off if you're tempted. Okay? So what do we do? Godliness is being as Christ. And how was he? Holy, harmless, and undefiled. He expects that of us before him. Faith and love, it says we work by. All everybody's against work. If you don't work spiritually by faith and love, you are not a Christian and you will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Mental assent of who Christ is, the devil's gift. Every knee and every tongue will confess the day of judgment. The demons acknowledge who he is. Why, they told Jesus, have you come to torment us before the time? They knew who he was, the Holy One of Israel. He created that. And they knew he had a set time to punish them for their evil. And they thought he'd come earlier. It was sort of scaring them. But he didn't cast them in. But that's what's assigned to the wicked, the lake of fire. Okay? So he was the creator. But they believe mentally who he is. They know he's the Lord of heaven. They just don't obey him. Of course, the demons and angels cannot. They've been fixed in their evil. There's no repentance for them because of the great grace they had and the face-to-face relationship with God in eternity. There's nothing else for them. God took everything holy about them, everything good and righteous. In a split second, they were cast down out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It means it was instant. And everything of any good in them was removed. They don't even desire the things of God. They're wicked by nature now. Okay? See, without God's grace and help, we can't do many things. Even the wicked can't. They breathe every day because he gives certain laws and principles that people live by, a gravity forces, they're upheld by him. Uh So they couldn't even live that way anyway without the Lord. He's the sustainer of every law and principle in the universe. Okay. And then he says, perseverance, hold on at all costs to Christ and his will and word is what it means. Gentleness and kindness is representing what Christ is to his own and goodwill and that's kindness towards sinners and those he wishes to seek for repentance. So he still has that benevolence for God so loved the world. But most of the world won't receive the gospel, and so God's anger and wrath remains on them. See, they never give you that scripture, do they? All they talk about is God so loved the world. But if his wrath and anger abides, that means hell fire is waiting for him. He's going to remember everything they did and every sin they're going to answer for if they do not submit to Christ and follow him. That's what he means. And most people that have the gospel preached to them, even the true gospel, and that's getting rare and rare, they still don't want it. Men love darkness. They choose to love darkness. They don't have to. 
They can resist it, and God holds them accountable for it. He brings every person into judgment according to the light, the truth they've got, and the abilities they were capable of. And he gives them grace to do the things he requires, so they are without excuse. Then he says in verse 13, I charge you, commission you, or remind you here, in the presence of God, who he knew God is everywhere, and he's in the Christian, he gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified a good confession before Pilate, okay? In verse 21 and 5, Paul charges or gives him a commission, reminding Timothy again to keep the commands and principles he was taught by the apostolic teachers, which Paul was. They supersede, and a lot of people don't like this. I've heard people, I've talked to them. They said, well, I just stay with the Bible, with whatever Christ says. I said, you're a fool then, because you've insulted God himself, okay? Jesus said something very interesting. He said that you will not be able to hear things I want to tell you. You won't be able to understand. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the Spirit was going to come through the apostles and the Christian, and he was going to use them. And that's why Jesus said, they'll do greater things than I did. They'll preach the gospel to people that I've only been in Israel, basically, you know, in that area. He was confined to a human body. He said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. He's with them as the man, Jesus Christ. His divinity confined or limited, basically. But when he resurrected, all the power of the Godhead was given back to him. And he said, I'll come to you. It's the spirit of Christ. It's God himself that enters the Christian and has a union with the Christian. So he said, it's better that I go away. It's better for you. Because see, he hadn't been glorified. He hadn't paid the price. He hadn't given the sacrifice. He hadn't have been resurrected as proof that he was the son of God, sinless. And so the spirit could not come under the new age and would not. So he said, it's better for you. So the gospels lay a foundation. The epistles and the apostle apostolic teachers, they refine this. And the same spirit of Christ is in them teaching to do this. So it's greater, he said, that I go away. People get fixed on a body. He never tells them to get fixed on his body. No scripture basically uh, tells us what he looks like or anything. Isaiah says he was not good looking. Read the context. He said, you have no comeliness or no appearance that men would desire you. So he wasn't an attractive movie star. He probably wasn't ugly, but he was a normal human. He wasn't coming in the flesh to emphasize anything. But the world hated him as a whole. And he said they would. And he said, they'll hate you also as you follow me. Okay. So Christ had to be glorified, his death and resurrection, and then he could enter them under the new covenant. So he said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. He can only be in them as Christ, as God, not as a human. His humanity was limited, and even now he stands in his human form, he still has it, and makes intercession 
He's acting as an intercessor. And it says he's at the right hand of the Father. So anyone who says they've seen Jesus in the flesh, they've been deceived. Because he left in a cloud. And the angels that verified this said, that's the way he's going to come back. There's no place in scripture where Jesus came in his body, but he did appear because he's God. He come in and fought. He appeared to them after the resurrection. He appeared to Paul and James. He appeared to all, but he appeared as God. Uh-huh. He didn't appear basically to emphasize his human form. And if he did, it was temporarily. And so you cannot find any sound teaching. He's going to come back. He's staying as the high priest now. Uh -huh. He's still interceding for the Christian. He's still interceding for the wickedness of the world that they'll turn to him. For without the spirit of the Father, and he is one with the Father, no person can come to God. Okay, So he's still being gracious and merciful. But he will be in us in a way he could not be under the old covenant. Okay, It was in relationship he's talking about. So when the Spirit comes, he said he will guide you into all things. He will reveal these things that he couldn't do while he was in the flesh and that he was not called to do. Uh -huh. So he's going to bring in a new kingdom. And that's basically the witness he gave to Pilate at one of the last things was, he said, my kingdom's not of this world, or my servants would fight. He's talking about a spiritual kingdom. And when he was asked, was he the king of the Jews? He basically said, yes. He was a king of the Jews and the Gentiles. He was the divine one. This confused some of these people, okay? So he is empowered now. He is one with the Father. And he sends his spirit, which is him, it says that spirit is the Lord. The spirit of the Lord has liberty and the spirit is him. And he says, I am one with the Father. Isaiah says, Jesus Christ is referring to who he's going to be. He said, he is the almighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He's so one with him and the Godhead that he is all in all, whatever God he is, okay? He's been returned to his glory, the full use of his divinity. So he gives us, by uniting with us, he comes and abides in the new man. And only as the new man obeys, and he has the ability to say yes or no, we can overcome the old nature, the corrupt nature. He's given us the power to do this. Sin does not have to rule us anymore, okay? We can do God's will. We desire the new man does. But it's the will of man which is never taken from him. The will of man is a part of him as a personality, as a human. And it will stay with him in heaven or hell. Uh, God doesn't alter that. He doesn't overwhelm people and force them. They have to yield to him one way or the other before they're Christians and after they're Christians and during the Christian. So if you study the New Testament, there are so many appeals for the Christian to do something or not do something. There is no irresistible grace. There is no, oh, I want to do it anyway. Well, your new man always wants to please the Lord, but the old man doesn't, and we have to keep it down and overcome it. And if you don't, you will not make it into the new kingdom. Okay.
So we have to use the will to follow and obey. There is no irresistible robot person. That does not happen. The will of man is what makes him a person. Uh huh. He's in the image of God. He was made similar to the angels to relate to God on a higher level, not by instinct like most of the animals do. He has choices in these matters. He can submit or not submit. He can obey or not obey before, during, and after he's a Christian. And that's why we attempt it to go back into the world and fall under its power because the corrupt nature always wants its way. And the only solution for the corrupt nature is death. It cannot be formed. So he said, if you, Paul said, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the new man in you too, if you put the death, the works of the flesh, you will live. If you don't, you will die eternally. That is the answer that is common sense. You are capable of following the Lord and capable of doing what he wants. He's given us that ability, okay? Because you have union with him and he yokes himself with us. But even in a yoke, the two yoke together, they still have their own personality and will and being. And they can refuse. So under the law, you could not yoke an ox with a donkey because the donkey won't basically will do what it wants to do. A trained ox, you speak to it, and it can do what you want. A donkey, no matter what you do, it will be plowing up the ground, and all of a sudden it'll sit on its butt and decide it don't want to do anything. That's the nature. It can, it's resisting. Where the ox that's trained is submissive. So that's why the law was teaching. You can't yoke an ox and a donkey. So if you are yoked to Christ and you're not going to obey and follow him, you're going to be unyoked very quickly, okay? So it's the union of the two. So we see, too, like he said, he's charged them before them and their presence. So, and God who gives life, he is the creator, the sustainer. He upholds everything, okay? Spiritual physical, whatever there is, he upholds the laws and the principles. And nowadays, you know, you see all these programs which are nice on all the things in nature and what it does. And all the teachers and the scientists, they want you to believe that nature is a force of its own and it just does what it wants to as if it's a god. See, they don't like to say god. They like to say nature. But nature is simply the law of god. He sets it up. He keeps it going. It's by his command and by his sustaining power. But the heathen and the person that doesn't know the God and don't want to will not acknowledge that. We'll go back to Romans as we did recently. Romans 1, 25. It says, who, these people fell away and became very wicked, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature or the creation rather than the creator who is blessed evermore. And you hear that all through our scientific world. All our telescopes, all this stuff, they don't give credit to God. It's if all of this happened to evolve out of a bunch of gases. 
and nobody ever bothers you, or a big bang. But nobody ever tells you who made the big bang if it happened, who made the gases. See, they're saying the gases are God that cannot reason, and somehow these things evolve without any intellect. Willingly ignorant and fools, and they shall receive the greater damnation. For they will not glorify God, it's idolatry. Means they worship what God has made. All sin is perverting the gifts of God. Don't matter what form they take, they are stretched beyond what God intended them for. Man perverts and goes too far. He transgresses. Happens in everything. He gives money for people to sustain themselves and help others and to do his will. Well, they go into materialism and covetousness and bigger cars and bigger houses. He made the sex relationship mainly for the man and the woman for their pleasure, says it's holy marriage, and to reproduce and bring forth children. They pervert it into fornication, adultery with anybody, homosexuality, bestiality. All of these are perversions of what God intended to be holy. The love of money, they make a God out of it. The love of pleasures rather than the will of God. Pleasures for a season, but then accountability comes. And at judgment day, they answer for their perversions, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire for perverting God's gifts and callings and misrepresenting him So when you hear nature, think in your mind as a Christian, they mean God, they're just too stupid to see it. Okay, that's what you do. So Paul is charging him, Timothy, before Christ. He said he made a good confession, Jesus did, before Pontius Pilate. At the very end, he told him some things. He didn't answer other things, but he let him know that he was a king of another kingdom. Because the kingdom that Pilate's in was of the world and would eventually pass away. It wouldn't mean nothing in eternity, but his kingdom would endure forever. So he gave that last witness to him. We'll take a break right now, okay?